I'm not superstitious, but I'm I am a little stitious. Welcome to Strength for Tomorrow Radio. This is episode 52. Can you believe it? I'm Stuart Thompson. You are you. Thank you for joining me. Did you catch last week's episode? We had Denver Gray on the show. Um, You've got to go check that one out. We chatted for over an hour, um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, We also got into more serious conversations and deeper topics. And he shared some helpful tips that have helped him with his training over the last few years. And we actually forgot to mention it, but I should have said and should have asked Denver about this, but he is actually an elite level table wrestler. Not a table dancer, let's get it right. Although I can't say that with any great certainty either. Maybe he is pretty good at table dancing, who knows. But anyway, any time that we were at a party or any sort of social gathering where there was a table, inevitably Denver would end up, you know, it wasn't even him that challenged other people, it was other people challenged him to rest in a table. So what that constitutes is basically you start on the top of the table, you have to crawl underneath it, and round the other side without any of your body parts touching the ground. Really impressive feat, really, really impressive feat, and it's even more impressive from my perspective whenever you're as large and awkward as I am. Can't believe we got to ask him about it. Anyway, go back and listen to that one from last week. You can watch it on YouTube and Facebook if you want to see us in all our glory, or you can uh, ignore us and not have to look at us. Listen on Spotify, listen on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else basically where podcasts are provided. This week I'm asking you this question. Is training supposed to be fun? What do you think? Is it? So I'm going to share a few thoughts on that question um, rather than just give you a yes or no answer, which would mean it would be the shortest podcast in the world. Basically I'm going to discuss it from my perspective and how I like to think of that question and how... The implications of it, how we answer it, and how we phrase it, or even asking the question, there's implications from that as well. So I'm not going to give you, not going to give you a yes or no answer, otherwise it'll be the shortest podcast in the world. So do stick around until the end. Um, we've got a big roundup of some news stories as well as joke of the week. So let's get into it. Is training supposed to be fun? What do you think? We've all seen the advertisements before, we've all seen on social media, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, we've all seen personal trainers and gyms try and advertise using different descriptions and what their workout's going to give you, what their program's going to give you, what their gym is going to give you. And oftentimes they say, it's fun, you know, it's it's effective, it's fun. Are they lying? (laughs) Is it fun? Should it be fun? Um, Or is it just lazy advertising? Does it... Does it maybe even create the wrong mindset? Does it create the wrong expectations of what you're going to get? We're going to discuss all of that, but it's an interesting one. I've used it before myself. Five years ago, I never started off. Because I find training to be fun more often than not, or at least I did at that stage of my life, types of workout I was doing, types of training I was doing, there's something fun about it. And we're going to get into the ways in which fitness can be fun, training can be fun, but it's often a selling point, isn't it? Whenever people are trying to get you to you know, do their program or, or come and train with them, we're often, we often try and sell it as fun. You know, it's effective, burns fat, builds muscle, um, helps your mental health. There's loads of people with different selling points and unique selling points um, based upon their program, based upon the type of personality that they are, who's, whoever's delivering it. But are they lying? Is it fun? Should it be fun? Sometimes... I don't want to have a go at people who are still using that phrase. I try not to use it as much anymore because I don't know. I think it's something that if you tell people, actually we'll get into it, but I want to ask you a few questions first. Is brushing your teeth fun? Is having a shower fun? Is cooking always fun? So these are things that we kind of have to do in life, right? We kind of have to. Now, I know there's loads of um, dads maybe out there husbands out there who can't cook, won't cook, never cooked, and they rely upon their better half to cook for them. But more often than not, like you do have to brush your own teeth, right? Unless you're like two years old and you know your parents do it for you. Um having a shower has to be done, right? You have to have a shower. 
and cooking, you have to kind of cook, you have to feed yourself to some extent. Are those are those things fun, or are they just you have to do them? You don't even think of the question. You don't even put them in the same form as being fun. Now, when it comes to cooking, I enjoy cooking if I have time. I enjoy baking if I have time. If I don't have time, which is most days, then I, I wouldn't even have a second to think about what I'm doing is fun or not. It's just cook the meat, eat the food. Like that's literally as, as basic as it is. That's that's how complicated my thought process is when it comes to food. When it comes to to cooking, um, is having a shower fun. Not fun. Like there's, I suppose, like if you if you're really cold or you you've been outside, you've, you know, you went been for a run, been for a swim. Somehow you got really cold and you get into the shower. It can feel nice, right? It can feel enjoyable. But is it? I wouldn't describe it as fun. Um, same with brushing your teeth. Not fun. It's just something you have to do, right? It's one of those daily chores. It's like you know, going to the toilet, wiping your bum. You have to wipe your bum, right? No other option. Is it fun? I wouldn't say so. Maybe you would. I don't know. Let me know. But I want you to think of fitness in the same context as those things. Sometimes it's more enjoyable than others. Would that be true to say? Sometimes it's less enjoyable. Most of the time it kind of sucks. If we're, if we're being really honest, a lot of time it's just bleh. And that's something to get your head around. That's something to kind of get your expectation level suited up for. Because otherwise you can go into the workout and think it's all about having fun 10 out of 10 times it's going to be fun and if you go into thinking like that you're going to be in for disappointment because quite often it's not going to be fun it's going to be really difficult it's going to be a challenge it's, it's the fun is probably the last way uh, the, the last thing you would use to describe it um so what do you think there's some problems whenever we we, we refer to fitness as being fun or it's telling people it's supposed to be fun if I, as a trainer, advertise my services as being fun, how do, how can that be objectively looked at? Your idea of fun and my idea of fun might not necessarily be the same thing. Like for some clients, it's pushing the sled, the prouder sled, is fun. For other clients, it should be on the Geneva you know, Convention and should be you know, treated as a war crime or something or like a hu- human rights issue. Um, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> it's anything but fun. Bulgarian split squat, same thing. Should be some sort of uh, some sort of convention against it. There should be some. It should be descriptively listed in a law somewhere that you're not allowed to force another human being to do this because it is torture, categorically speaking. Um, so you get the picture, right? Your idea of fun, my idea of fun, not the same thing. Other people probably probably um, share similar views as well. So if I advertise my services as fun, or you advertise, you see, you join a gym because it tells you it's going to be fun. What happens after the first week with the novelty wears off? If you go into it with that mindset, the wrong mindset, might I say, what happens whenever you get to week three and it's like, ah, kind of want to watch Netflix tonight, kind of want to watch Love Island. Don't watch Love Island, by the way, that's really bad for all sorts of mental health, physical health, everything. It's not, it's not no good. Don't watch it. Um, but you might think it's more fun than doing some squats. I don't know. But you get the picture. So it can create the wrong mindset if we advertise it as trainers, as you know, your workout's going to be fun, your training's going to be fun. Um, and you can then suffer as a consequence of it because you've gone into it. You know, someone tells you, oh, we're going to go climb a wee hill. And the hill turns out to be a huge mountain. You know, you've got the wrong expectations of it. You've got, you've maybe got the wrong gear. You've got the wrong time allotted for it. You've just got the wrong attitude approaching it. And suddenly it just feels terrible. Now, it can work the other way. And if someone tells you it's fun, there's certain people with certain personalities and they will make themselves have fun with it, whether it is fun or not. They can be easily influenced, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So it can work the other way, I guess. It can alter your mindset depending on how you approach that question and how you how you deal with it. If someone else tells you it's fun, you will might be more predisposed to considering it to be, you know, the possibility of it being fun. But there's other people and they will immediately tell you they're not having fun. A really good example of um, your perception of fun and my perception of fun, or maybe maybe fun's not the right word. Maybe rewarding, rewarded, or rewarding is a better descriptive word. There's a workout in CrossFit called Murph. If you're at all familiar with CrossFit, you know what it is. So basically, you have to run a mile, you have to do um, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 
and then 300 body weight squats and then run a mile to finish and uh, some people would consider that fun some people consider being physically challenged to be a fun experience some people like like we did a obstacle course about a month ago or more and i found it fun now other people were not having fun they were, they were having a miserable old time i've had fun a lot of the guys that were with us had fun and a lot of the, the hundreds of people other people who were doing it there was a thousand people there that day they were having fun now there's obviously going to be people in that group who were not having fun because they were being physically challenged beyond their capacity they maybe didn't like mud they maybe didn't like cold water they maybe didn't like having to lift themselves over things or crawl or whatever parts of it were, were uncomfortable and if you don't like being challenged it wasn't going to be fun for you um some people have more fun sitting on their butt playing computer games for three or four or five hours others enjoy competition others enjoy the, the feeling of trying or being able to beat others and then there's other people who like competing with themselves just trying to better themselves and they consider that to be fun or rewarding probably more rewarding i would say that's kind of the the question isn't do you do it for, for the reward or to feel rewarded or do you do it to feel like you had fun like going to fun for is it always fun usually it is right it's pretty easy apart from the machines that make you go upside down or go at a great velocity don't don't invite me to those if, if that's what you're into by the way i would not have fun on those things <laughs> they're just not for me other people it's like it's exhilarating to have the time of their life they just they, can't, they love that feeling of not being in control i hate it i want to be in control i want to be in control of a vehicle that's moving really really fast i want to have that control not somebody else pushing a button doesn't sit, sit well with me but you get what i mean the, but it's not rewarding going to a fun fair is not rewarding i mean i guess you could go and like you know talk talk yourself into doing like a crazy one of the crazy rides and then come back being rewarded like you achieved something but you kind of get that at the gym as well if you do some heavy weightlifting, you're gonna go away feeling rewarded you feel like you've achieved something you've pushed through it was difficult it was a stress it was a struggle and you came out the other end and you made it and now you're stronger you're going to be stronger for the next time that you go in there the problem i find sometimes with workouts that are advertised as fun is and not always but they're not as effective now some workouts some workouts are more fun than others right some workouts you'll you know you get to be a bit silly with them or sometimes a novelty factor so you'll be doing random stuff you'll be doing stuff you're just not used to sometimes you're flipping a tire hitting a tire with a sledgehammer climbing over or something um carrying odd objects those things can be considered fun i guess by some people but other people just see it as work they, they see through it they see through the facade and they see like that's sure good instead of getting me to pick up barbiters getting me to pick up heavy water canisters instead of um trying to swing a kettlebell you're getting me to swing a heavy tire or something you know um but sometimes the novelty of, of certain workouts they can still be effective but quite often if a workout is, is always fun or a workout program is always fun then that that to me would suggest that it's too easy that you haven't been challenged sufficiently to bring about a change and certainly the change that most people are looking for whenever they go to the gym now I've been known to say before that I think the best exercise for most people is the one that will, will you, you enjoy the most and that will encourage you to do it more often and to put more effort into it. So if you like something like boxing, you're going to be more inclined to do boxing more often because you enjoy it, right? Whereas if you hate doing spinning, if you hate doing spinning, you might do it a few times, force yourself through it and then you'll probably want to quit. But it's about trying to find something that you semi-enjoy or don't completely hate. And then whenever you get your fitness level up, whenever you get your strength up, then you're going to start enjoying other things. I got into like CrossFit, I guess, because I had a bit of a, a basis of strength. I used to do more bodybuilding style, style training when I was younger. And that kind of set me up at a, a decent capacity for, for work and effort. I had, you know, a, like a semi-decent level of strength to start with. So it made a lot of the, the, the workouts easier. Now, it took a long time for me to get my cardiovascular capacity up, my muscle endurance up to scratch to be able to be competitive. I think competitive is a bit of a stretch because it wasn't competitive. I wasn't like elite. I was like 
like way down the, the pecking order I was like a novice but enough to kind of compete with other people who were at a similar level to me I guess at, at a similar stage maybe that makes more sense so I think having that base level, level of strength really helped me to get going to get started now whenever you are starting off and you've got a good cardiovascular basis it's probably not going to help you as much with the strength things but the strength things will help you more with the cardiovascular things so like I would say like strength training and weight training it really got me into doing other things very first episode I referred to it as a gateway drug it was like my gateway drug I get into doing lots of other exercise just from trying to uh, lift heavy weights and then that opened me up to doing more like, like sprints and running and stuff like that and I got better at it and I could force myself mentally to do it because I built up that capacity and I built up that sort of mental fortitude from doing it. Now I know I recognise not everybody's like me, not everybody thinks like me, not everybody approaches challenges like I do and um, there's nothing nothing wrong with that, nothing doesn't mean anyone's better or worse, it just means that everyone's different, right? And whenever we come and approach a challenge, it's really important that we we have the right perspective. So I think when it comes to being rewarding, you want to reward yourself. So it doesn't mean that you do a, a gym session and you go home and you know have a bar of chocolate or have um, a tub of ice cream. I don't mean that sort of reward. I mean that you recognize your accomplishment. The, the exercise itself is a reward. The stress and the stimulus you apply to your body is a reward. That's the reward. And acknowledging that is uh, that accomplishment is the reward. Hopefully you're following me. Hopefully that makes sense. But if you can find something you enjoy I can, or don't hate, get stuck into it, get your teeth into it and give it your all. And then you start trying other things, start dabbling on other things. I wouldn't have tried other things if I hadn't built up a decent level of strength first because it makes everything so much easier, as I said. If you like boxing, go for that wholeheartedly. Like, a lot of people think boxing's fun. A lot of people think like you know, body combat and there's all these other sorts of novelty niche, I would say, kind of programs that have been developed and they get people moving. Great, fair enough. That's brilliant. A lot of people don't stick at it though. A lot of people, a lot of people, I think, drop out of these types of um, training methodologies. If you can call them like workouts, maybe a better word, exercise classes. That's maybe a better, better, better phrase, more accurate phrase. A lot of people stop them because there's no progression. Their progression is based upon their perception. What I mean by that is, say someone's in a spin class or a body pump class. Now you can say, well, I come out this week and I wasn't feeling this tired, so I must be getting fitter. Alternatively, you can say, I feel really tired this week. I must have pushed myself harder. I must be getting fitter. Do you see what I mean? So like your, your, your understanding of what progress is is based upon your perception. A lot of times, as we said before, we lie to ourselves. We don't really know. We tell ourselves whatever we need to hear. We tell ourselves lies all the time. But, that's why sometimes it's important to have a training program, I would say, compared to exercising. And Mark Rickett, who actually draws this comparison all the time, but the difference between training and exercising is training has a plan. Training has a, has a progression. Training is consistent, and you're doing the same sort of things consistently. Exercising, he would say, is just effing about. It's just messing about. You're not really, you know, you have no, no linear form of progress. You can't look back six weeks ago and see the progress that you've made you just turn up for a class right if that's what you love doing great if you can stick at that and you've the the mental um capacity to do that fair enough for a lot of people though i believe they quit exercise altogether because they don't see progress they don't see the progress they've made on the page as well as in their body because whenever you can't see it in your body sometimes it's nice just to look back and see actually you know what i used to be really weak and now i'm really strong or I used to not be able to like run that far and I can run even further. Just knowing how far you've come is a massive sign of progress. And it's hugely rewarding. It's really, really rewarding. And that's when it kind of can become fun. Sometimes in our classes, in like Total Body Toning, even Atomic, sometimes we uh, will have a little, little bit of competition added to it and we'll pair, each other, pair people up, team, get teams together and uh, get people a little bit more competitive, just adds a little bit of an edge to things. And it's always interesting to see how people react because there's some people are just like not interested at all in competing. They're just like, no, I'm just, just here for myself, just going to go through the motions. There's other people who are so competitive. 
And there's other people who are just like a wee bit competitive. You can see just out of the corner of their eye, they're looking and saying, are we going to beat them? Are we going to beat them? And it's kind of cool, kind of fun to see that. Now, if you're not competitive, I get that. Some people are just wired that way. Other people aren't. But if you, you want to do something that you're, it's going to be an accomplishment for you. So don't just tick in the box. Again, that's how you fall off the wagon and you don't go back. You want to make sure that you are you have some sort of progression. You have some form of valid form, objective form of progress that you can look to and see what's happening. See, are you going backwards? Are you going forwards? Or have you stuck still? What's happening? So that's kind of my thoughts. That's um, just one little question I've had this week. And hopefully it has challenged you. Hopefully it's got you thinking. Hopefully it's maybe changed your perspective on whether workouts should or should not be fun, whether training should be fun. Sometimes it might be. I mean, beating somebody in a workout or beating somebody, you know, lifting heavier or getting past a certain sticking point, that can be fun. But I would encourage you just to enjoy the process. Enjoy just, just the process and the grind and the mundane aspects of it. Just tweaking those fine little details. Enjoy every moment of it. Because the, the reality is, there's a lot of people who would love to be able to get up and do some heavy squats. There's a lot of people who would love to be able to lift heavy weights. And... I don't mean the people who talk about it and say they would love to. I mean the people who are maybe wheelchair bound, people who have maybe got a, an illness that prevents them from doing things like that. People who are have gotten past the point in old age where their their every joint in their body's gone. They're just sitting in a chair. People have got dementia, um, really severely. There's all sorts of conditions and diseases and life situations out there. People have lost limbs. There's all sorts of things going on in people's lives, and they would love. They would love to have the physical potential that you have. And what are you going to do with that? Are you going to waste that? Or are you going to make the most of it? Enjoy your body. Enjoy what you can do. Enjoy your potential. And try and fulfill it as best you can. So that's my challenge for you this week. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. Let me know if you find workouts fun or not. What's your least favourite workout? What's your least favourite exercise? I'm always interested. I love hearing about it. It's not so I can come up with um, workouts that my clients will absolutely detest and hate and make their life miserable. That's not why I do it. It's, uh, <laughs> I know some people think that's the case. But a lot of the time, if there's an exercise you don't want to do, it's a sign that you need to do more of them. Am I right? Okay, so we've got some news stories to round up on. Didn't do any last week because we had our special guest, Denver Gray. So... This one, this is from seven days ago, so it's a little bit longer than a week, but it's more or less than the last week. And a few disappointing stories, and then there's one that's kind of funny at the end, so I just want to lighten the mood a little bit. First one, it's on the BBC um, News website, and it's seven days ago by Dominic Hughes. The title of it is, Cost of Living, Soaring Bills Damaging People's Health, Med Say Medics. And it says, rises in the cost of living are already having a negative impact a negative impact of people's health. That means on people's health. Health professionals warn. BBC News has been told of people skipping meals or cutting back on medication because of money worries. The Royal College of Nursing says people are having to make heart-wrenching choices that compromise their health and well-being. Along with GPs and hospital doctors, they warn health inequalities between rich and poor risk becoming worse. Laura Brandt, 28, has already had to make some tough choices about a treatment keeping her alive. Having lived with kidney disease since the age of seven, she has already had two kidney transplants and now needs another. Laura is dependent on a dialysis machine to carry out the filtering process usually performed by the kidneys. Without it, she would be she could be dead within a week. Laura was having dialysis at home, but the machine used so much electricity and water, the bills started to mount rapidly. I'd say that it's the straw that broke the camel's back, really with the cost of running the dialysis machine, the water it uses, the electric, she says, and it was adding to my anxiety, like how am I going to pay to use this treatment every month? Laura switched her dialysis away from the convenience and accessibility of home to a hospital. At first this meant a three hour round trip, three days a week from her North Yorkshire home to the Freeman Hospital in Newcastle. She has since moved to a centre 20 minutes away, but this has also meant switching to an entirely new medical team and it's not been easy. I'm sick of having to make choices, Laura says, and they have to be the right choices. If not, it's my health that's going to be affected at the end of the line and I don't want to be any more poorly. So kidney issues, kidney disease is really, really um difficult situation there. Um, my wife she works in um 
in the renal um, unit and uh, I kind of get some idea of what um, these patients are up against. Uh, I hear stories and it does sound terribly difficult. Um, someone else is saying here, chronic stress at Grey Road Surgery in the North Liverpool, one of the most deprived parts of the city. Dr. Janet Bliss and her team have seen how poverty affects patients' health. So all these things, um, they're affecting people's health and it's, it's really hard not to look back over the last two years and not see this coming. For the last two years, the only issues, the only health issues, the only diseases, the only deaths, the only fatalities that seem to matter if you listen to the news or indeed the government are COVID related. And um, there's a whole lot more going on besides that. There always has been and there always will be. I, I remember hearing one stat, somebody gave the breakdown of how much for every um every point the, the the country goes into debt and for for every point of how how much like recession takes place inflation all those things whenever those things happen the the implication somebody worked it out and then the health impact is incredible um they've done like a, a cost benefit analysis if you want to call it that based upon how, how the economy is doing versus how people's health um, is going and all the decisions that we've made in the last two years and before that have led to this they've led to people's mental health getting broken and smashed to pieces have led to people not being able to now afford to heat their homes or feed themselves and health is definitely being impacted and it, it's been coming as a, a tidal wave that's been coming it's really really sad to see this it's finally being reported on it's, fine, it's like suddenly a light bulb was like oh wait all of this stuff yeah all of this stuff um now if you are struggling, if you're listening to this and you're struggling to um, eat well, to eat healthily, maybe you are trying to eat better, but it's just you find that convenience foods seem to be a lot cheaper and a lot more um, a lot more beneficial for you at this moment in time with the cost of everything. We do have a guide in our Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. It's called Real Life, Real Life Athletes, and it's on um, Facebook. Just search Real Life, Real Life Athletes, and you'll be able to find that. There's a guide on it, and I put this together at the very, very start of March 2020 because for lots of people, they were losing their jobs. They were not, not allowed to work, not allowed to um, feed their families or pay bills with income. They were stopped from, from working, and um, it was a kind of uncertain time. So I put together this little guide that it was designed to help you eat well on a budget. So if that's you, if you're experiencing any of these things at the minute, do check out that guide, join the group, we would love to have you in it and use that guide and yeah, things like eggs are so cheap, not as cheap as they used to be but they're still cheap, buy in bulk, there's loads and loads of tips, there's obviously loads of tips and I know people are saying like, buy in bulk but that costs an awful lot more, yes it might do but it's going to do you for an awful lot longer if you can, and whenever you buy a small bag of something like like rice or potatoes or something small, you're, you always lose out, so Whatever it means, try and save up a little bit to buy that extra bulk because it is worth it. It's economies of scale. It always makes sense. But this is having a real impact on people's health. And it's sad to see. It's sad to see that um, now we're only paying attention to it. But even BBC News is paying attention to it. That's, that makes you realise like how far down the line we are with this. So a bit of a crap story to start with, but it only gets better. So our next news story is on CNET.com and this is from the 8th of June 2022. Title of it is Blood Flow Restriction Training Gets You Stronger Without the Heavy Weights. How this therapy technique can help you recover from an injury or workout faster. Blood Flow Restriction Training is a technique that restricts blood flow in your arms and or legs during exercise to help with injury rehabilitation, tendonitis, surgery, post-op, such as knee surgery, maintaining strength during recovery and even optimizing performance for competitive athletes. When I was rehabbing an injury while training for my last race, my ther physical therapist used blood flow restriction training as part of my tendonized recovery process. This was a tool I never used during other rehab sessions. So if you don't know about blood flow restriction, it's been around a while. There's been lots of theorizing on it. There's been lots of people saying it's really good. There's lots of other people saying, oh, I don't know, but that's too early to, to judge on it. I've heard of it. I haven't really engaged in it myself. I have I've dabbled in it, but I wouldn't say I've really stuck at it for any length of time. It goes on here then the best way to describe it is this imagine having a, a torquette 
or bl blood pressure like cuff wrapped around each of your legs making simple exercises or so they seemed that much harder the first time i tried out this technique my quads were much sore than i expected the next day the type of soreness i felt is normally something i'd feel a day or two after a heavy volume squat day after several rounds of blood flow restriction training i noticed the post-training soreness wasn't so bad and my legs felt stronger and more recovered so my question here at this point is he said my legs felt stronger and more recovered my question at this point is how do you know your legs were stronger um the, the definition of strength is applying a force against an external resistance but if you aren't measuring that how do you know you're getting stronger that's my question at this point i was convinced that blood flow restriction training was onto something and i was curious to learn about it, more about the method i was interested in understanding better how blood flow restriction training works how it benefits people with different goals as well as the risk factors associated with it talk to nicholas Rolnick, a physical therapist and owner of the Human Performance Mechanic in New York, about the benefits of blood flow restriction training and how it works to help people. Um, just helps just about anyone, regardless of age and background, recover better and perform better in the gym. Read on to learn more about this popular rehab tech rehab technique. It's really that's really like we hook tag at the end, they're just making you can continue reading, sucks you in. So I'm not gonna rubbish blood flow restriction training altogether. I, th I can see a benefit to it certainly so say you are wanting to keep your legs stronger i can see a benefit of using that if you have maybe a back injury if you maybe have some sort of other injury that you're having to work around i can understand that is it the same is it as beneficial as maybe squatting with a heavy load in your back i don't think so and for a, no a number of reasons one of those reasons is whenever you put a barbell in your heavy barbell in your back and you try and squat with it you are not just training your legs as many people think and if you try this you'll you'll know what i mean you are training lots of other systems in your body you're you're exposing lots of other processes in your body to a stress an appropriate stress hopefully such as your bones so women there's been cases anecdotal evidence that from different parts of the world that whenever women who are in menopause or postmenopause and they maybe their bone density is going down their bone mineral quality is decreasing whenever they start doing strength training especially squats they are actually able to somewhat reverse the process they're able to come they're able to start doing strength training and whenever the results of their next bone density test comes back the doctors are scratching their head and wondering what's going on and what has gone on is that the the stress the weight of that bar the load bearing nature of a heavy squat so whenever you put it on your shoulders, there's weight going right through to the tips of your toes. So your skeleton is getting stressed. It's not just your muscles, it's not just your quads, it's not just your leg muscles, it's your bones as well. Not only that, you are also applying stress to your tendons and to your ligaments, to your connective tissue, to your, your, your heart it's an aerobic event as well as a strength event so your heart is having to send blood very quickly to those muscles to those capillaries to fuel your muscles so whenever that happens you aren't just training your legs so blood flow restriction can't improve your bone density that's the first thing i'm gonna say because if you're if you're trying to put less of a load on you by doing blood flow restriction inherently you're gonna be putting less pressure and less force through your bones so they're not gonna improve um they're not going to densify so there are benefits i'm not saying there's not and they go on to list the benefits here besides gaining muscle mass and getting stronger so they're saying you can gain muscle mass from it i'm not going to this argue with that but i'm sure you can get your a good pump and full of blood full of glycogen for a while and um, it says getting stronger i'm just i'm not certain how, how the strength thing comes into it because they don't seem to really be measuring it apart from how you feel feeling stronger is not the same thing as being stronger I can think I'm stronger, but until I go and test it, it's irrelevant. Um, there are plenty of benefits you can read from blood flow restriction training. Other potential benefits include pain relief, improved cardiovascular capacity, and even increasing tendon and bone strength. So that is a good point. Whenever you restrict blood flow, obviously there's a, your blood pressure is going to be impacted on it. So someone who has blood pressure issues might want to stay clear of this. This, this was actually discussed whenever I was doing my personal training qualification this was something that was discussed it wasn't part necessarily of the the um the module or the teaching but 
it was discussed and I remember like our our instructor specifically telling us this does not seem like a good idea and I, I often wondered about it I didn't really it was quite open-minded still I'm quite open-minded I can see certain benefits of it but certainly if you've got blood pressure issues this is literally the last thing you want to do your, your blood flow is already restricted so why do you want to and um, put more pressure on yourself so it's interesting it's interesting that they're they're starting to put some uh, some data behind it some studies behind it I'm I'm not sure I think there needs to be a lot more work done on it before we can conclusively say and make assertions about it but a lot of these studies unfortunately they, they focus on feeling and, and the, the subject's perspective and how they their perception of things rather than hardcore evidence blind studies as it were but yeah interesting and uh, certainly not as um, depressing as the first story next story we're nearly there um this one is in sky news and i've seen a few variations of the story in other outlets but this one kind of gets to the to the nitty-gritty of what we want to discuss Government's vision for food industry is not a strategy, Leon founder Henry Dimbleby says. I have no idea who, who Leon are, but apparently Henry Dimbleby is their founder. Um, he says he's pushed for more action on obesity, greater environment and welfare standards in farming and the expansion of free school meals. So all that sounds wonderful, right? All that sounds really, really good at face value. It sounds like a really positive thing. So this was on the Monday the 13th of June, so a couple of days ago. The man behind a major review of the UK's food system has criticised the government's vision for the industry, saying it is not a strategy. A draft of the government's food strategy leaked last week. I love it and say the government's strategy leaked as if uh, it was by an it was an accident, you know, <laughs> as if as if it wasn't purposely leaked to see oh, what's the reaction out there. Let's just see. We'll pretend that we didn't. We'll pretend it was leaked, and uh, we'll see what the general reaction is of the public and then we'll make a few changes before the official document comes out. That's what happens, right? That always happens. Anyway, a draft of the government's food strategy leaked last week ignored a number of the recommendations by Leon founder Henry Dimbleby. They're making a big deal of this Leon, whoever, whoever that is. Maybe I'm just being ignorant and living under a rock, but I don't know what, what that is about. Including a salt and sugar tax and government action on obesity. Okay. We'll keep going on, I'll come back to that, we'll circle back around. It pushed things such as fish farming, long seen as environmentally damaging, compulsory vegan meal options in schools, and animal welfare warnings on restaurant menus. It also called for people to move towards eating responsibly sourced venison instead of other meat such as beef, although this is not the final version of the strategy. Of course it isn't the final version of the strategy, because it's been leaked, it's been leaked. How could it possibly be the final version? It's been criticised, and now they're going to change it. And that the official final, final, final version um, will be less controversial, especially to this fellow, Mr. Dimbleby, who seems to be quite important in these circles. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has promised that the final version to be launched today would back farmers, boost British industry and help protect people against the impacts of future economic shocks. Right. The Guardian said Mr. Dimbleby had been shown the final document and he said there was nothing really there on health. He added, it's not a strategy. It doesn't set out a clear vision as to why we have the problems we have now, and it doesn't set out what needs to be done. In his review last year, Mr. Dimbleby had also recommended greater environment and welfare standards in farming, a 30% reduction in meat and dairy consumption, and significant expansion of free school meals. Okay, question. Why is Mr. Dimbleby um, get all of the power and authority to suggest that we um, stop eating dairy and meat? I mean, surely that's a personal freedom of choice? No? Too much to ask these days? Um, he said, with inflation as it is, both the amount spent on free school meals is significantly less in real terms than it was a year ago, and the number of people who need it is significantly more. We need to tackle that. Mr. Johnson said our food strategy sets out a blueprint for how we will back farmers, boost British industry and help protect people against the impacts of future economic shocks by safeguarding our food security. Harnessing new technologies and innovation, we will grow and eat more of our own food, unlocking jobs across the country and growing the economy, which in turn will ultimately help reduce pressure on prices. Oh, they love politics, love pol politicians love politics and don't they like talking in absolute circles and nonsense. Anyway, 
But Ms. J but Jim McMahon, Labour's Shadow Secretary for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, said there this is nothing more than a statement of vague intention. That's that's exactly what I was thinking, Jim, to be honest. This is nothing more than a statement of vague intentions, not a concrete proposal to tackle the major issues facing our country. That's that's a first statement. Um the only thing more ironic than uh, pol politicians politicking and talking vague terms is another opposition politician calling them out for it when they do the same thing. Kath Dalmeni, Chief Executive of Farming Group Sustain, said in the face of multiple crises in the cost of living, rocketing obesity, climate change and nature loss, the government food strategy looks shamefully weak. Shamefully weak. Government has given crystal clear, clear analysis and a set of recommendations by the Dimpleby food strategy and has chosen to take forward only a handful of them. How much is a handful? I've often wondered that. Like, whose hand are we talking about? Because I've got quite large hands. I don't know if you people struggle to grip a barbell. Their hands are quite small. Whose hand are we talking about here? Sorry, by the way. Just a by the way. The Food Foundation's Executive Director, Anna Taylor, said it is a feeble interpretation of Henry Dimbleby's recommendations. Why does Henry, Henry Dimbleby get to say what we eat? I don't know. It's crazy. Which will not be sufficient to drive the long-term change that we know is so urgently needed. So gonna circle back up here so this guy Henry Dimbleby I'm not sure I like the sound of him because he's he's recommending that um, there be a salt and sugar tax and the government government action on obesity I mean if it's anything like their action on um, people not wearing masks or not taking vaccinations they're gonna be locking obese people up in their house before long although maybe they're gonna do the opposite and force them out to go for a walk or to go for a hike or to do some sit-ups or something or squats I don't know what the government's <laughs> action um, is going to look like in the future and things like this. Although, to say you should lead by example, so I would like to see Boris Johnson lead lead all of that, um, if that's okay. Don't know what this Henry Dimmelby boy um, is like and his level of fitness, but yeah, I think I've said before about the salt and sugar tax. I mean, in one sense, it sounds yeah, that's a good idea. That'd be a great way to curb obesity. That'd be a great way to make people eat better. First of all, making people do anything is a bad road to go down from if you're a force now people might look at me and think you're a personal trainer you make people eat healthy I don't make people eat healthy I give them recommendations they pay me I advise them I coach them I try to encourage them I try to question them and help them work it out themselves so that they lead it me telling them like I'm not going to go to their house and start beating them with a stick until they eat what I tell them that's not going to be very practical it's also probably not legal nearly certain it's not legal and it's it's not going to change anything as soon as I turn my back they're going to be raiding the cookie jar again right so that doesn't work the other point of it is whenever you tax something like salt or sugar whenever you introduce a tax on these things um, it basically puts the government in bed with the manufacturers with the producers they are now an interested stakeholder it is now in their interests that these these products sell more okay so if it's Kellogg's and they're loading their cereals full of sugar and full of salt now the government is thinking oh we we need we get we get a healthy income from that now through tax so we need to make sure that we're already promoting that so now all of a sudden there's a comp there's a compromise of interests there is a con sorry a conflict of interests and their integrity is compromised so hopefully understand that that's why I'm not I'm not for government intervention in any of these things because it has to be personally led it has, it has to be personal accountability and personal responsibility you can't make people do these things like you saw, you've seen in the last two years making people get a vaccination or making people wear a mask there there was a pushback uh, a lot of people did it, it didn't help but anyway <laughs> that's that um not saying more on that but introducing a salt and sugar tax is going to be a revenue stream and it's going to make the government a very, very interested stakeholder in seeing these companies succeed, in giving them benefits, in helping them thrive so that the government's income and their coffers can thrive. So it's very, it's interesting. And then sitting here, it pushed things like fish farming, long seems environmentally damaging. In whose opinion, fish farming, like I, I love fish as much as the next person. I, I think we should do things responsibly and we should fish um, responsibly. Um, the next one compulsory vegan meal, meal options in schools <laughs> forgive me if I'm wrong compulsory vegan meal options in schools so we're fortunate to eat vegan meals but they're optional <laughs> um, 
I don't understand. And also, like the idea that vegan food is healthier is also very, very um, diluted, for lack of a better word. Um, animal welfare warrants on restaurant menus. I really don't think people care. If you're out for a dinner and you're eating a steak, you've gone past the point now. Like, you don't care, really. Hot, you know, the cow, you know, got to watch TV or he, you know, he, he got free health care. Are, are you going to care, really? I don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe I'm just not as nice a person as you. But whenever you're about to have a big juicy steak, I'm not thinking about that. Now, obviously, I believe in animals should be treated well, should be looked after. But I don't think those things are going to make a difference either. Now, some restaurants might take up that option. They might do that because... I know it makes them feel more like better morally or they feel like they're doing their bit but again forcing restaurants and business owners to do stuff like that is just insane to me and it's another unnecessary expense for the restaurant and then for you as a consumer and me but um, it also called for people to move towards eating responsibly sourced venison who eats venison? Like, really? I love venison when I get the chance but trying to like, encourage people to eat that how many how many deer have you seen running about recently, like like realistically, not very many, not very many probably in the UK. I'm all for eating venison. I think it's great meat. A lot a lot of a lot of B vitamins in it. A lot of iron. A lot of protein. Obviously, great amino acid profile. But I don't know. I just don't know about that. So interesting story. At least it is to me. Kind of funny at the same time. But yeah, let me know what you think about. Let me know what you think of the, the government's strategy to tackle obesity. To me, education is the way forward. Um, as long as it's not agenda-driven, trying to make everybody a vegan, um, trying to stop people eating fish and good meats. It's not going to go down a good road. But I'd love to know what you thought. You think about it. Are you, am, I, am I right? Am I on the ball? Have I got it wrong? Sort me out. Let me know what you think of that one. Okay, it's our last news story of the week, and this is in The Mirror, and it was on the 9th of June. The title of it is, Notorious Seagull Who Worked Out How Tesco Doors Work Steals £300 of Crisps. The seagull likes to change his order and has been caught stealing bags of Monster Munch and mini cheddars, but he is said to favour a big bag of tangy cheese Doritos. I love how they do that, like they say that as if they've interviewed him. It's amazing, amazing. Great journalism there, Liam Buckler. A serial shoplifter named Steve the Seagull, I bet that's not even his name, is Tesco's most wanted after stealing £300 of crisps after working out how automatic doors work. The clever seagull is infamous with locals for lingering around the car park, at, so lingering around the supermarket in Painton, Devon, after finally working out how automatic doors operate. I mean, I don't think he's that clever. I mean, I worked it out, like, must have been like the seventh time whenever I was about three years old. High automatic door. Like, I mean, I think they're over. I think they give them too much credit. I think they're giving them too much credit. I think seagulls can do much better and more impressive things than opening automatic doors. No, am I wrong? In his latest effort, Steve has been caught on camera stealing a bag of mini cheddars and is then seen making a run for it out of the store. See, he's not that clever. He got caught on camera. Like he probably didn't put on a mask or a disguise of any any sort. The cunning bird waits for the doors to open and then emerges, re-emerges inside the store for a brand new packet of crisps. As staff tried to stop Stephen, it was too late and he had scurried off down the high street, leaving staff once again helpless. I'm sure they tried really hard to catch him. <laughs> it is thought that Stephen stolen around 17 kilos of food worth more than £300 in a year, though the figure could be much higher. Wow. So see, cost of living crisis, to even affecting seagulls, they're having to steal food out of shops. Like, they used to just get fed by people. Apparently people stop feeding them and they're having to go in and do a, a robbery. Now, at least it's not an armed robbery. I love it. Like, Liam Brown filmed Stephen's latest crime. I love they're talking like Stephen as if he's a person. Filmed Stephen's latest crime, really personifying, and said, I've seen him go in a few times. This time he hopped onto my car bonnet, so I started recording. I knew he was up to something. He jumped down and started chewing gum off the floor. Then he walked into the shop and ran off with a pack of mini cheddars. A Tesco worker who wished to remain anonymous. <laughs> now why would you want to remain anonymous? Would you not want the credit for this? No, me either. A Tesco worker who wished to remain anonymous said Stephen's unwelcome visits are a daily occurrence. They didn't even give that much detail. Like, they didn't give enough detail. He must have been so annoyed. He must have been a Tesco's worker who was just so frustrated 
the fear that I asked about Stephen the seagull so they're just like I don't want my name exposed and I'm not going to give you any details all I can say is it's a daily occurrence amazing amazing have you ever heard a more ridiculous story okay it's joke of the week time so I've actually recently joined a dating site for arsonists I've been getting a lot of matches Yes, you didn't like that last one. Here's, here's another one for you. What do you call a dinosaur that uses cheap toilet paper? Megasaurus. <laughs> and that is that. That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening to me. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer, or if you have any complaints about our jokes, or yeah, just any thoughts on the show today, do you find exercising to be fun? Do you find training to be fun? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Um, don't forget, we have our open gym services up and running. If you would like to apply for membership, you can do that. Send me a message, and I would love to get in contact with you. Basically, it means you can come in and train yourself outside of class and personal training hours anytime from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. So that's like 84 potential free sessions for you to jump into. Spaces are limited to four people per hour, so you're never going to have to wait for equipment. You can always find equipment. There's, gonna, there's plenty of bars, plenty of squat racks, plenty of weights, um, and lots of cardio equipment as well. Um, yeah really convenient option for you don't forget we also have our large group class we have a couple of spaces at the minute there's a few people away and we have space if you would like to drop in and um, seven pounds you can pay on the website log into the app and book yourself a class or if you have any questions about any of our services personal training one-to-one semi-private partner training do get in touch and we would love to help you out have a great weekend and don't forget to train today so you can be stronger tomorrow we